What's up, everyone? Thank you all so much for being here and uh, joining us. I know it's December, and it's the time when either this is like the busiest period of your life, or actually you got nothing to do, uh, which is why we did this. So um, for everyone at home, you are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the show that helps you keep as much revenue as possible without sacrificing your time. And today, this episode is sponsored by Upsells.com, a done-for-you solution to generate more revenue from your emails. Today's topic is how to hire winning players. Now, let's be real. The success of any company isn't actually how smart you are, how good you are, how, how much of a hard worker, and the worst, how much you grind. None of those things make you a good business owner. And yet it feels like as a startup, that's what's gonna make you successful. But that which gets you started is never the thing that helps you scale or grow. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. The reason I brought you guys here is because each of you is amazing at scaling companies in different ways. So I wanted to start off just at the very beginning. What would you say is like the worst nightmare story you have of hiring somebody who you thought was right and that they were actually just not right in any way? So I'll give you an example I'll share with mine. I think the worst employee I ever hired was my best friend from, uh, from college. Now, I should have known because my best friend at college was the guy that never turned up on time, ever. And I would always cover for him. I'd be like, oh, at the beginning of the class, we got handed out our homework, this is what it is. And then we started working together when we were in our 20s in a TV show. And he was responsible for turning on all the, like, the light screens in the background, and he never turned up on time. So I would turn them on, and then he would walk in late while we're filming with all the light screens up, and the producer was like, how did you get the screens up if you're not here? He's like, I was here earlier, I came back. And he wasn't. So this is like, I knew this about this guy. And so when our company first crossed doing six figures a year, which was, uh, sorry, six figures a month, which was uh, like 12 years ago or something, uh, maybe 10 years ago, um, I hired him because that made so much sense. The, the reason I did it is because he'd been working in logistics and he'd been working with spreadsheets and I hate spreadsheets and I hate logistics. And I was like, this guy's gonna be great for it. So he quit, he started working for us. Um, that was the first month we did six figures and the last month we did six figures for three years, actually. Um, after that, we never could get back up to six figures. And what we had was a consistent growth every year of about like 12%. No matter what we did, we couldn't move faster. And I started realizing it was probably this guy. So what would happen is I would say to him, hey, we were gonna do that big ad campaign and we filmed all the ads and we got them lined up and ready to go. Did you ever build the spreadsheet to, to work it all out? And my buddy was like, I almost did, but I didn't get it sent out on time for the launch. We're gonna do it next quarter. And I'd be like, oh, okay, what happened? And he goes, well, there was this complication with these updates and there was always really good excuses. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Anyway, after a few years of this, I was like, I'm pretty sure this guy is just really ruining everything. And so I pulled him to one side and I said, listen, for the last month, I have kept track of every mistake you've made. And rather than confronting you with it, because I know you're gonna give a really good excuse, I just counted how many would we get. And after 30 days, there were 60 what I would call critical errors, things that like destroyed revenue in the company of an amount between $5,000 and more. And my real question is, I'm sure for each one you have an excuse. How the hell have you made 60 mistakes like this in a month? Like how has that happened? And he says to me, you wanna hear the truth? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, you're the problem with this company, you. And I was like, oh. And he goes, yeah. He goes, if it wasn't for me, this company would collapse. I am spending so much time fixing your errors, I don't have time to do the projects that you're giving me that you hope is gonna make us grow. I'm trying to make sure everything's okay every single day. I was like, well, how are we gonna resolve this? I was like, I'm willing to either, you double down and, and take the job and do it better, I'm down for you to just be a consultant and help us survive if that's what you're doing and reduce your fee, or I'll fire you right now or accept your resignation uh, and I'll give you a three month um, severance package so that you know we, we finish on a, on a good note. And he says, yeah, that's fine. I'll take the, the three month severance package. I am done. 
And then he says to me, I've got one thing to say, and I don't want you to respond to it. Is that okay? And I was like, sure. And he says, my prediction is me leaving ends your company. And this is going to be the end of you. Your prediction is probably that I am the reason that you're failing. And he's like, as far as I'm concerned, one of us is going to be proven to be correct. And when everything collapses, you know, I'll still be there as your friend. Uh, he's like, I won't work with you ever again, but you know, I'll, we can still be friends afterwards. And I was like, I'm pretty sure we're going to grow significantly once you leave. And he goes, well, you have your say, I'll have mine. And that was it. And that was the, the separation. And so he left. Uh, the next month, we grew 15% in a month, which was fabulous because you know, we actually got things done. Uh, I think it was two years before he could get a, a job again. Uh, the only thing he could do is some, some work for Uber. And it, it taught me that I was clouded by my personal feelings, by the care of someone that I had, and um, I was, I was, <laughs> and I was bullshitted by a resume. I I had a resume that looked like it was everything I wanted, and I ignored the true facts that I have known about this guy for decades, and went with, oh, he must be better now, and trusted my own judgment. That was the worst employee mistake I ever made. And I sat on it for years. I, I, can't, I can't imagine how much growth I lost during three years by not doing that. So that's my terrible story. So go for it, Byron. No, no, that's <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, so I, I love what you said about the resume because that's, that's where mine comes in. So we, we were interviewing for uh, an assistant, personal assistant, and like life and business tend to merge if you're an entrepreneur. Everybody knows this. And so we were hiring for a personal assistant. So this lady came in. Amazing resume. She was a personal assistant to Tom Cruise. If, you know, if you don't know Tom, he's an actor. Like, turn on the TV. Um, and uh, uh, so, you know, we're thinking like, oh, like if you worked for Tom Cruise, like you've got to be amazing, right? And so we weren't, you know, we looked at the resume. We saw all the people. We saw all the skills. We interviewed, but it was a soft interview. I mean, I definitely trusted the resume. So we bring her on. Same thing. You know, like, hey, need you take care of this? Doesn't happen. Hey, what happened? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, excuse, excuse, excuse. And so this goes on two, three weeks. Uh, you know, so finally I bring her in. I'm like, hey, like, you know, like we, we got to figure something out. Like this has got to get better. I get it. There's a, like there's a period of time where you learn it. And so uh, always a good excuse, right? She says, well, uh, I can't get this done because I'm used to having assistants. <laughs> well, I, yes, but I've always had assistants that worked for me that allow me to really excel at my job. And so I was like, okay, well. It's been working, great working with you. And uh, we're going to go to somebody else. And like, you know, she, she was horrible at the job. She like, you know, after the fact, I mean, she posted on social media, like how, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm probably not the nicest guy in the world. I get that. But like, I was never anything but nice. I'm blunt. So like, if you think blunt is mean, then yes, I'm very, very mean. Uh, but, you know, she, uh, she, she wanted nice. She wanted assistance to work for her, like. You know, I was like, man, I want this job. You know, like, how do I get this? Like, I feel like that's what I was hiring you for. But yeah, obviously, you know, yeah. trickles down. But yeah, that was that was my horror story of hiring. And just like you said, trusted the resume. Yep. And you can't trust the resume. Mm -hmm. You know. Okay. How long did it take you to get rid of her? Ooh, it, it was like I said, it was like three, three, four weeks. So it wasn't horrible. Oh, that's okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and I I didn't follow my cardinal rule: be very slow to hire and quick to fire. I missed the first part, but like, you know, the second part, like we did, you know, I brought her in. I try to coach her and I, and I have a weird saying. I say, I'll, you know, when I talk to people and, and we've gone through a few coaching sessions, I will tell them, I'm going to coach you right out the door. Like if, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to coach you right out the door. And when we part ways, it's going to be very clean. Uh, and so I get the worst compliment you can ever get all the time. I'm great at firing people. Because uh, I, I coach them right at the door. When I have that conversation, pull them in, and I'm like, hey, this isn't working out. They're like, yeah, I know. You know, and then what can I do to help you to move on to the next thing? Okay. These are the positives I saw, uh, and how can we utilize those to find your next position? And so I, I do actually have good friends that were former employees uh, because I've helped them move on to whatever it is that works well for them uh, because that's important to me, right? I believe in people, and I know Adam does too. I've seen it a million times. He believes in people. You, you, you want to know the best in people. And so it's not always necessarily like, hey, I'm going to pick out all the negatives and then like I'm going to beat you up on it and send you on your way. A lot of times it's like, hey, these are the positive things. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for my company. But these are your positive traits. Like you need to emphasize those and let's find you a job that works for that. And so because of that, I am really great at firing people. So if you need somebody <laughs> fired, let me know. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's, uh, Zach, let's hear from you. Yeah. Worst, uh, worst employee story. 
Yeah, so there is, um, I think back now seven, eight years ago, uh, whenever 49 was really getting off the ground, uh, and you know, uh, as an entrepreneur, as a startup founder, right, you wear a lot of hats, and, and I was wearing, it felt like five or six hats at the time, and uh, our acting CEO, Travis, great mentor of mine as well, he said, hey, you need to get an assistant, right? You need to get a personal assistant uh, to help you just kind of manage this workload. And I said, oh, that's a great idea. Um, you know, I did all this work, you know, vetted all these people. A fraternity brother of mine actually was, um, you know, a manager at Indeed here in Austin, a very large hiring service, right? And he said, I got you. I will help you out. I will set up all these things. It'll be on the house, right? Uh, you've helped me kind of get plugged in here in Austin. I was like, perfect. I'm going to use Indeed as a service, uh, and this is before Indeed really became what they are now. So this is you know eight, almost eight years ago before I had all the buildings in Austin, and they were such a big name. So I was like, great, uh, you know, a really awesome company to work with. He gave me all these names, all these uh, different people. I interviewed them. It was it was a great experience. Now you got to factor in our company's like two years old, and this is kind of the first real company that I had helped start, right? So I'm by no means like an expert at hiring people. Uh, at the time, I think I was 25, maybe. And uh, I was like, hey, you know, um, I'm very not, I, I'm not qualified. We didn't even have really uh, much of an HR department yet. Uh, and I was like, I'm just going to trust uh, my buddy to source and vet these people. And then he gives me kind of the top three or four, and then I'm going to interview them, right? So we get down to that. We hire this person. Uh, similar story, great resume, uh, had actually worked uh, for an executive at Apple uh, in Austin at the headquarters. Like, I mean, you name it, right? The credentials spoke three languages, which I just thought was great um, because I do have clients that live in certain parts that, you know, speak Spanish and things like that. So I was like, oh, this is going to be fantastic, lots of experience, uh, reasonable kind of pay structure. Uh, and, you know, I said, great. So starts working first like month or so. Fantastic. Right. Um, super on top of it. Great, uh, you know, work ethic, very intentional, uh, you know, almost being proactive, which is kind of what you look for in an EA or any type of personal assistant. Um, about about a month in. Right. All of a sudden. Start showing up a little bit late, you know, starting getting a little soft, saying, I got to work from home, right? This is pre-COVID. There's no such thing as really working from home in financial services where we have a lot of protected client data. Uh, you kind of have to go to the office at this, you know, uh, technology hadn't advanced yet. And so I'm like, okay. And then it was like, oh, you know, I'm kind of sick. Oh, okay. And so it started just one after another. It's like, okay, this is interesting. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, these projects and everything that previously had been on time, only in like month two, had started to really kind of go uh, by the wayside. And then it was like, then it was almost like a negotiation or like more like a hostage takeover scenario where she was like, hey, if you don't make me a W-2 employee, then I'm going to not actually do this work, you know, like on the timelines. I'm like, that's not how this works. Uh, last time I checked, you know, if you want to go from 1099 to W-2, we would love to do that. Like we want to make you integrate you into more of the team. We want you to be a partner with us, right? That's how it works if you have great people on your team. But you don't get there by threatening the person that pays your bills, right? And I was like, but maybe she's just having a tough season of life. I don't know. I'm an idiot. So I didn't have a lot of experience at the time. And I was like, all right. So I just kind of let that go. And then she starts to kind of pick it up after I give her some confrontation. Uh, so we get to like month three, right? And I say, hey, we have this, this is the end of the quarter. It's really big objective. We're, we're getting to the end of the year, right? Um, in our business, Q4 is the busiest time of the year, right? Uh, to Adam's point. <laughs> and so we have a lot of clients, you know, uh, amazing people, but they may, we may give them an idea or tell them something to do in March or April. And they'll say, that sounds great, Zach, or it sounds great, team. We're going to do that in December when we actually have a greater understanding of where our numbers are, budget. Some of it I totally get. Some of it is just them being lazy and waiting till the end of the year to get it done, right? So I'm like very clearly communicating, this is the deadline. We need to get this done by December 23rd. So we get to December 7th or so, that time frame, right? Not too dissimilar to where we're at today. And um, she says, hey, I have to go out of town for a family wedding. I said, okay, well, most weddings are on the weekend, so that's fine. Um, no problem. If you need to work remotely um, on Monday or something because you're going to Arizona, that's fine. So um, I don't, at the time, this is, you know, 2016, so I don't really follow any of my people on social media. Um, you know, that was not something that was that big yet. I wasn't really into it much. So I'm like, I don't think anything of it. Um, she says she's gone Thursday, Friday, and, you know, no, not a big deal at the end of the day. It's just like she says it's her sister's wedding or whatever. Cool. I'm all about family. No problem. 
Well, um, we get to the end of the year, right? Um, it's not going great, right? We've kind of missed some deadlines and such. I get an employee, a different person at 49, that's like, hey, did you see your assistant um, was in San Juan, Puerto Rico? And I was like, because I was going to San Juan after the Christmas holiday with my family to just take a vacation before starting uh, the next year. And I said, what do you mean? She's like, yeah, I just saw your assistant was there uh, in San Juan. You'll have to ask her for some recommendations. <laughs> uh, and I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, oh, you didn't see? Like, she was there for like two weeks. I was like, oh, well, she said was in a wedding. And, and then all of a sudden I realized, hey, and then I confronted her and she was like, well, yeah, that's where I get my best work done. None of the work got done. We uh, quickly moved on from uh, working together, uh, and uh, yeah, that's that just how it is. Total sense. I find I do my best work while yeah. vacation. And I was like, Hawaii in Hawaii. I yeah. was like, well, you know, I was like, maybe I should be getting my best work done uh, there in yeah. Mexico or something else. Right? So <laughs> yeah, that, that was my story. Okay. Yep, Michael. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so um, back in my agency days, um, I didn't hire this specific project manager, but I had moved from being the one-person marketing person to not only that, but chief relationship officer. So my role was integrating our customer service experience and our like, outward-facing uh, relationship biz dev role. And I was also trying to like streamline all of our paperwork because our employee turnover was, was really high. So I noticed that one of our project managers had not signed the employee handbook. And <laughs> that was a condition of employment. Um, so I was doing an audit of all of our HR systems, and I had approached her, her hiring manager and her, um, her team lead and said, well, how do you want to handle this? Um, and he's like, well, you just need to you know, sit down with her and let her know it's a condition of her employment. Give her a week. Uh, to review it, and that should be ample time. It should be not a big deal. She had been employed with us for six months, um, and I didn't think it was going to be an issue. So uh, we we sent it over via email and then sat down with her, right? So didn't just say, hey, you got to sign this by the end of the week with no context. And I sat down with her, and I was like, hey, I was doing an audit because we're redoing all of our systems. We're trying to make the employee experience better. Here are the reasons why we're finding a correlation between turnover here, because we know that there are certain things in our really tiny startup that we could do better for you. Better health insurance, better um, working environment, you know, give you the option to work from home, don't come into the office on Fridays, et cetera. But as we're improving that, we need to improve our systems. And by doing that, we feel that our customer attention will also be higher. So giving her the reasons why we're going through these practices. So. Uh, gave her that on Monday, and then on Thursday, I um, was like, hey, uh, so-and-so, um, I haven't received, you know, a copy of that um, that um, echo sign, and, you know, still waiting on that, hitting my inbox, and she just looked at me, and she's like, I'm not going to sign it. Okay, so are you resigning? No. Are you firing me? Uh, so we go in this back and forth. Um, it, it is a condition of your employment. So we took the conversation privately into the conference room. It's a very hostile personality. Um, and by the end of the conversation, she determined that she was not resigning, she was not signing the paperwork, and that we were threatening to fire her. She left with the company equipment, um, which was really not a good idea, so stolen property, essentially. Um, and fortunately, I knew where she was going next to a client meeting, so I actually had to follow her to the client meeting and wait until she was done and ask for the equipment and let her know that she didn't need to come to work tomorrow. If she was not going to resign, um, we would have to let her go because it was a condition of employment. Um, it, it was really sad um, because she was doing the opposite of what we needed her to do, right? We're trying to reduce employee turnover to increase our customer happiness. That was the weirdest situation I've ever had. <laughs> like, it's just a handbook. The thing she didn't want to do was have to give two weeks notice um, before she, she left the organization. It was a suggestion, not a requirement in the handbook. Um, <laughs> but she just couldn't like wrap herself around that concept. Um, Anyway. I love that. All right. Probably, probably better off. Weirdest, uh, weirdest firing I've ever had to do. Yeah, I think definitely better off. Uh, and lastly, go for it. 
I'd like to say that I have like one uh, story, but I, I've, there's, I've made the same mistake multiple times. And um, <laughs> unfortunately, and so I can kind of, yeah, uh, it's, uh, and it's, it's making the same mistake, in, in my opinion, is just hiring someone out of desperation. It's like you have this massive need, there's this work that's not getting done, and you essentially, and I have multiple times bypassed all the systems, I put, hiring systems I put in place, all the processes, and, and then because I was desperate for that help, felt really insecure. You know, I basically was like blaming, I blamed myself because I didn't do a good job of training you up and, and process, you know, getting you on board. So I'm not going to like come down hard on you. And so I end up, you end up like going a year with this person, you know, multi, again, multiple people in my case, um, that I, you know, I had this like level of trying to get them up to speed, but also knowing that I let them on the boat because I needed them and then feeling like really insecure about trying to fire somebody because you need the help. And long story short, I've done that probably at least three times. And, um, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to say that that's over and behind me now, you know, but sometimes as a business owner, we all know there's like, a, you know, something happens, someone takes a new position or there's this new, you're trying to expand your business and there's like this role that's absolutely needed. And, um, and you get desperate and you begin, you get, and you, you make, decisions that you wouldn't normally have made um, if you weren't desperate. And so I've been there and done that multiple times. <laughs> I love that. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to share with you. It's that no matter how successful you are, I mean, we've got people that, at least one person that's represented billion dollar businesses, uh, actually two, I know for a fact, maybe three at this point. And who knows, maybe four, you might be a billionaire. I'm next. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and yet they've all got this same horror story of hiring the wrong person. So I just wanted to show, it doesn't matter how successful you are or how big the companies you've worked with, this is a common mistake that people make. Um, I wanted to share with you guys my three red flags that are going to let you know if an employee is going to be a bad decision. And these are the big three that I always look for. So the first thing is I look for people that have entitlement. If they have entitlement, then I'm like, that is an absolute no. So the way I define entitlement, because there is a difference, there are employees that are asking for things that are fair. For example, I got one employee, he has to drive an hour. Most of my employees only have a half an hour drive. And he negotiated when he first joined, can I get a subsidy for gas? With the increase in gas prices right now, I didn't feel that was entitlement. It also wasn't presented as, well, because it's so long, you're going to have to. That difference in wording is the difference between entitlement and a fair request. A fair request is something that should always be considered. And as a company, if someone's putting in a fair request and they're saying, because of rising gas prices, because of the distance, because I will be driving further than anyone else. I want to work here, but I know I'll look for closer opportunities if this isn't mediated. I'm losing time because of the drive. I'm okay with that if you'll pay for the gas. And I was like, yeah, that's fair. And he was taking into consideration the gas prices might double. Quadruple, he has no idea what's going to happen. And so he wanted to make sure that was in right on day one. I was like, that is a great request, not entitlement. The next one is a pass the potato person. Pass the potato people kill me. That's where you send someone an email and it's something like, hey, I need you to go online and find the information of these seven companies. And then they come back to you and say, what kind of information do you want? And I'm like, all the information. And then they go, can you be more specific? I was like, you know, contact information, like, you know, their address, email, and any relevant facts about them. Like what? I don't know, like their gross revenue and, and any other numbers. Okay, here's one of the websites. Let me show it to you. Where would I find that information on this website? And you're like, what is happening? I'm doing, I'm being step-by-step step walked through the process I want you to do. So that's pass the potato people. Pass the potato people need to be coached to stop passing the potato. And basically you don't give the problem back. So you give them the problem and they understand that their job is to go and solve the problem. And at least when they come back to you, hey, these are the seven companies. This is their contact information. This is their revenue. This is how many employees they had. Is this everything you wanted? Was there anything else you were hoping? That's great. Because I've actually been brought work that I can look at and go through. And then I can say, oh, I also wanted their logos. And they're like, well, you, and rather than they're like, well, you didn't ask for that. It's like, no problem. Let me go get their logos then. That difference is the difference between a past the potato person or not. Because a past the potato person will also pass the blame. So if you say, I also want this other piece of information, they're going to be like, well, you didn't tell me. It doesn't matter that I didn't tell you. I'm now saying, I want you to go and obtain this extra information. Please go and do it without bringing that back to me. There's no need for a discussion here. I now want more information. And the last one, this is my absolute favorite, 
Not my monkeys, not my circus, not my problem. These are the people that like, they'll go into the office and they'll be working in the office for a few days while you're on a trip and you come in and there's trash everywhere. And you're like, wow, how is there trash everywhere? And they go, well, I'm not in charge of cleaning up and the cleaner didn't do it. I was like, so we now, we now live in trash. That's our new thing. <laughs> well, what did you want me to do? That wasn't listed on my, my resume. That, that wasn't one of the requirements of my job. I have to take the trash out now? I just think it would be nice if you didn't work in an office with trash. Go, well, you should have got a cleaner. It's like, what is happening here? And they're like, it's not my job, not my monkeys, not my circus, not my problem. The, the key to a good company is when everyone's like working together. So I believe, and I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. So I'm going to throw this out. I'm going to make my statement and then feel free to tell me I'm full of crap. I believe that a company isn't a company until it has a founder and 12 employees. And I'm going to be very specific about who the 12 employees are. And I think that when people build a company, they don't have this in mind. But I know, you know we do a lot of mergers and acquisitions. I've consulted for over 1,900 deals in the last three years. And in every single one, the people that want what I like to call a business in a box, where you buy, you, you're acquiring a business that can run itself, always has a minimum of 12 employees. Each of these employees are a manager and an assistant. Because I found that it takes a brain to pause, think, and strategize. And then it takes an executor to go out and get the work done without thinking. And if you only have one of the two, You'll end up with a staff member that sits and stares in space every day, comes to you with ideas of what could be done, and then when you say, can you go and do it, they're like, oh, that's a lot of work, I'm not sure if I can. Because they're a strategist. That's what they should be doing. And you want that brain value. You want them to think, but the strategist, the executor, who when the strategist says, hey, we need you to go and do this, the executor goes great and does it, and doesn't just sit there and think. And then the six departments, which is essentially what it is, are, first of all, your marketing department, whose job is Branding, developing products, market research, and bringing in leads. They are going to find where your audience is, where the leads are, and bring them in. And then sales. And they are going to turn those leads into money with no excuses and not blaming the marketing department. The leads weren't any good. doesn't matter how bad the leads are. you got to work them. That's how it is. And then after that, we have finance. And the finance department, you don't want the person that's working out the best way to optimize your taxes to be doing your bookkeeping and checking your receipts. They are two completely different tasks, so they've got to have somebody underneath them. After that, we've got tech. You don't want the person that's designing the entire website and your new software app that you're developing also doing bulk code every single day. The next department is operations. You want one person who's managing the entire company. Did everyone hit their KPIs? Is everyone doing what they're supposed to be doing? And then the daily quality control person that double checks and gives them that feedback. And last is the, the executive team. This is your CEO and the CEO's assistant. Now, a lot of people get confused because they're like, well, you said there's a founder. The founder shouldn't be doing any of this. The CEO's job is the big vision. They work very closely with the founder. They brainstorm together. They outline what's going to happen. And the CEO then goes out, uses their assistant to go and get whatever work's done that needs to be done. And they pull in the big deals or they set the big vision in motion. And the founder's job, you as the owner of the company, is thinking about the direction, is thinking about uh, improvements that no one else could even think of or imagine. Things that are so far out the box that nobody else in the company could even recognize it. And for me, as uh, somebody who buys companies, you give me that situation with a founder that is kind of burnt out and bored and doesn't know what to do, I will buy that company. Because I can just step in and bring all my visions, all my ideas, talk to the CEO and roll it out. So for me, for anyone who's listening or watching and you guys, that's what I think is like the bare minimum. But I'd love to hear your thoughts if anyone's got anything different, if you wanna share what you think or what you found. I'm holding the mic, so I'll start. Um, <laughs> um, I think each industry has its own uh, little bit of nuances on mm -hmm. that, but I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I think we, to some extent through the, I own multiple businesses also, and depending on the type of business, we have structures like that. And, I'm, and I am big on the whole idea of having someone who is the uh, strategist or the ideator and then other, because they're, 
different personality types. Very rarely will you find one person who, sometimes you do, you find that diamond person who can do both, but it's, it's actually a rare situation. And I think uh, in a lot of situations I do have like, you kind of have your, your leader slash strategist, and then you've got your folks who execute. So I, so I agree with that a lot, but I will say I've started a lot of businesses and you don't always have that luxury of being able to make those hires and all that other stuff. So you kind of have to figure out you have to solve those same problems with, uh, without having necessarily the resources and, and funding to be able to, um, to have that structure. And so coming from a military background, you also, I think what I've seen a lot of companies do, which I like your model, I hadn't thought about it in that detail, but really sometimes what they'll do is they'll have like one leader and then they've got all these executors underneath, too, you know, too many executors and you can't manage that many people. So from a military background, we, we have a leader and then maximum three people underneath them that maximum that you lead and, and manage and oversee and supervise their execution. So, um, so yeah, really that's, that's my thoughts on, on your I idea. I love that. That's brilliant. Yeah, that framework, um, I love, uh, and especially with working with a lot of founders that are way too close to the problem to be running the organization. Um, uh, a lot of people need to hear that. Um, but I'll, I'll keep my personal opinions aside. Um, and, and I'll just, I'll echo uh, what Ethan said. Um, there are a lot of structures and organizations, you know, that you can, you can um, manipulate in different ways to make that work. But I do feel that as a marketer, obviously I'm going to be biased in saying this, but putting marketing at the forefront, because it's not just first and foremost about brand, but it is, marketing is about building the product. It's about finding the product market fit, the value proposition, and partnering with a tech team to ensure that it is solving the right problem for the customer, not whatever thing I had a dream about that sounds really cool that I think I could sell for billions of dollars. Um, what will sell for billions of dollars is truly solving a problem for millions and billions of people. Um, and that's really at the heart of, of building an organization that works. Um, and just a final note on this is like building a company is a team sport. So having a founder, having a CEO, a C-suite and executors and strategists, everyone's on the same team, right? It's, it's about getting the Super Bowl ring for the whole team. Uh, it's not about being the one on the podium at the end of the Olympics. Love it. Yeah, I like that. That's a good ending piece there. Um, yeah, I think uh, there's two books that really changed the game for me whenever I started to think about how to operations and how do companies run and then how do I play my piece uh, in this organization. And I think it was E-Myth, which is a very classic book. I mean, probably everybody's heard of it. Um, and, and their kind of claim to fame is just how do they turn SOPs and allow companies to scale. And, and their like, you know, most famous example is McDonald's, right? Where you could put a chimpanzee uh, at the, you know, assembly line and they will make just as good of a Big Mac as somebody that you, that has a college degree, right? Because the systems are so well done and anybody in the world uh, could go work at a McDonald's if they were given the right training, which McDonald's is obviously done, right? The second one was, uh, is, is traction slash rocket fuel, which is this idea of a visionary versus integrator. Uh, and, you know, everybody thinks that they can actually be both. I know I've thought of that in the past, uh, just because I may have had to actually fill that role um, in organizations that I've worked in or companies I've started or companies I've helped run. And, and I've very quickly over the last kind of uh, few years realized, oh, wow, I'm a really bad integrator. <laughs> um, I may have the ability to do it, um, but I'm actually doing myself a disservice, my team a disservice, and our company if I'm trying to fill a role that I'm not really supposed to be doing. Visionary is something that I've always loved being. I've always uh, you know, excelled in that, and, and that's been what's driven me to any success that I've had. Um, but I've always been the first person uh, to uh, acknowledge like, okay, yeah, this is an amazing idea, this is an amazing strategy, but I need somebody to help me integrate this or organize this, right? Um, and a funny, like even family personal stories. So my sister and I, about four years apart, uh, my sister recently came to come work for us at 49 Financial a little less than a year ago. And she's an amazing operations logistics person. Her background is in education. She used to teach in the classroom uh, and you know, taught little kids. So you wanna talk about somebody that's good at logistics, it's, it's probably our, our public school teachers, right? 
And uh, it's been amazing to see her integrate into our organization, and she's done a brilliant job. Um, but it's hilarious because then she asks me, like, what am I doing? Or, or you know, comes to my office and it's like talks to me about something. And it's like, oh, I have these 15 things I need to do, um, but I'm already thinking about what's the 16th strategy or idea we could implement. She's like, hey, you know, Bucko, like, what are you doing? Like, you need to put, you know, get, either get somebody connected to actually fulfill these goals or uh, you need to hire more people or whatever. So it's been fun to have that uh, loving uh, family accountability in my own office uh, to do that. But then it's been fun to see, you know, as adults, how our skill sets are very, both very, you know, we're very competent, but they're so different and that's okay. Like that's actually beautiful to have people on your team that you can say, great, I'm not the best at this, but man, I know this person is. I can't wait to partner with them. Uh, and then that's gonna make them more successful or more fulfilled in their careers. Same for you as the business owner as, or as the leader. Uh, and then it just leads to this kind of uh, rising tides in, in, in the shifts that we're all kind of a part of with our businesses, so. I love yeah. that, very cool. Uh, so you know I agree with you. Uh, but uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to uh, the people that are kind of starting up. Like, and so the, the concept of having a founder and then immediately hiring 12 people, that's daunting, right? Like that's scary. Uh, so for, for a lot of people that are starting a business and like maybe they have one or two people that they trust, uh, you know, and I think it's very important for those people to like have the confidence to speak into your life and like you should trust that they're coming from uh, a position of, of love for you, right? And they need to fit that culture. So I would say like, make sure you're hiring for the culture and then like, you need to start replacing yourself. So like as a founder and you're starting to fill these 12 spots, find the thing that honestly, you're not that great at. Like, so I think a lot of people, uh, and I'm gonna pick on the CMO for you know a minute, a lot of people are like, oh man, I'm great at social media. You know, I can, I can run ads, I got this, right? And they're not, they're just horrible, right? So, you know, and, and ask some people that, that you trust to like feed into your life honestly, you know, and they'll tell you, uh, you know, if you have any remotely good friends, they'll tell you like, hey man, you really suck at this. Uh, and so hire for that and then kind of move your way out, right? So like as a founder, you're gonna take on a lot of jobs, you know, but you can't get stuck in the muck. So start replacing yourself, like let somebody take over that, right? And then trust them to bring in the integrator that works for them, right? Like you can't micromanage these things and they have to work with them. So when you hire the CMO, a uh, huge fan of fractional, like self-plug, but you know, like, you know, hire a firm maybe, hire a fractional CMO, uh, fractional CFO, whatever, uh, but then trust them to bring that person in and, and make sure that it is a visionary integrator. Uh, we're really, really big on psychological testing and like you can't, a lot of states you can't legally force that, but like most people will volunteer it. Uh, and making sure that that works with you, works with your team. Again, hiring for those core values because those are crazy important. I know that's like literally all Adam does is like, do they meet my core values? Cool, I can trade them for whatever, right? And, so, uh, and that's true. You really, really can. Uh, some things require a very specific skill, focus on that, hire for core but like hire those people in, train, your, train them, let them replace you, move on to the next thing. So fill those 12 spots strategically and with good partners and with people that meet your core value. And you will find yourself in a position where you're burned out and Adam comes in and buys your business you know, from you, you make great money and then he makes even more money. It's, it's a great recipe. I, I think it's the best way to build a business is to buy one. Because uh, there's some really good quotes about like, the key to a successful business is putting in diligent time for a long period of time until you build something with momentum. Alternatively, buy something that has momentum. Just saying, it works. Um, so we're getting towards the end and I wanna make sure that we deliver on this how to hire like amazing staff members. Now, I'm gonna whiz through the common tips, mostly to make it really difficult for you guys to come up with answers. But there are things that everybody knows, right? So number one, everyone knows that, you know, if you use Indeed or one of these platforms to get employees, it's worth paying for the advertising to make sure more people see it. You also should have some kind of trick question in there so that when the people reply, you know they actually read it and didn't just mass respond. So for example, we have one that says you have to respond uh, with your email, the cover letter needs to be a font color that isn't black. Because a lot of people don't know how to change the font color in their email, and this is something they now have to go and solve and requires a Googling, and it's such a difficult thing to do, but it really doesn't, it takes 30 seconds. But by putting the pressure on them to go and do that, you know, they read the, res the resume, they read you know, everything they're required to do. So these, I would say, are like basic things. But I did wanna share some of my favorite tips. 
Um, and then I want to give it to you guys just for one tip that you think other people don't know that you've used and has been really, really powerful. So this one is really big and also really controversial. I'm sorry in advance. Hire failed business owners who know they've failed. This is very important. They can't just have, oh, I could have done this better. They need to be, I suck. I am no good at business. That is the best employee ever because they have already given up on their dreams. And I, I know this, <laughs> I know this is controversial, but if you remember what I said earlier about the six different departments, it usually means that that business owner was exceptional at one of the departments and just didn't have the skills for the other five and didn't have the resources, money, or ingenuity to solve the others. And this just happens. So once they get into this mental point where they say, okay, I am not gonna run a business ever again, but I really like doing marketing, or I really like finance, or, or I'm really good at tech. When they get that in their head, they are now primed to be an amazing employee. And the average small business owner is only paying themselves 200 grand a year, which is totally affordable as a high-end expert thinker who is now committed to doing something. Now, they don't wanna be a failure in life. They clearly want to be a success, and now they view your company as a success. And one way you can really motivate them is with points in the company, because now they become a business owner again. So you give them a clear path from employee to business owner, and you say, look, it wasn't your fault this business collapsed. You didn't have these other assets, you didn't have this much revenue, and you don't have these other skills. And I think that's great, because you're so good at sales, marketing, operations, whatever it is. Come and do that for us. Let us pay you a good salary, probably what you were paying yourself, and we'll give you a bonus every year based on profit or profit of growth. Over time, if you, if you make it out five years and we hit this particular revenue target, that will exchange into what we like to give is phantom equity. So we don't actually give them the equity because they have to pay taxes on it. It's just a payout based on how big the company is when we sell it. Um, but they get, you know, a, a seat on the board of advisors, not the board of directors. There's a big difference between those two things. Board of directors have responsibility, board of advisors don't. But it's a nice phrase and it makes them feel important. And of course, they become integral into the company. So this is my absolute favorite tip. And the question is, well, where do we find these failed business owners? And the reality is you network with business owners, which is my second tip. You should be spending as much time talking to other business owners as possible even if they're not in your industry. It's why we do events like this. It's why we've made our podcast live so we can see people in person. Just talking to other business owners, you will find an employee that they no longer want, who is really good at a job, but just not at the level they want, or somebody they know whose business is collapsed and they really need something to pay the bills and they're ready to commit and give up their company and move on. And it's so much easier if your network is larger. Um, a really good buddy of mine, Brian Holiday, he lives just down the road. He's a famous author. He has a, a bookstore in town. And he messaged me two days ago. And he said, Adam, I'm looking for this particular staff member. Do you know anybody? And he basically was saying, I'm looking for a business owner who's no longer doing their business and wants to come and run um, a new venture that he's got. I don't want to give any details because he's awesome. Um, but the reason I'm saying that is Ryan Holiday knows he doesn't have to know as many local business owners as I do because I know more than him. He can just reach out to me and as a friend be like, yo, do you know someone? one email later and suddenly it's broadcast out to like 400 relevant business owners. And so the number one way to get an amazing employee at the highest level is someone you know and ideally a failed business owner whose specialization is in what you're looking for. And then the people under them, the ones that are the executors, as crazy as this sounds, I like single moms. And I'll tell you why. In a world where people can work remotely, single moms get things done. They don't leave dishes out on the side. They, they have an attention to detail. And most single mom's ambition isn't to become some big, amazing business owner. They want guaranteed money, guaranteed pay rises every year. They want good vacation time. They want good medical that applies to their children. They want to be able to work from home. They want flexibility about looking after their kids. And in return for all of that, they will happily go the extra mile and make sure things succeed. I have never found employees that were more diligent on getting tasks done than single moms. They are, and you just have to be okay with, my kids are sick, I've got to go to the doctors today. It's like, no problem whatsoever. Let us know how they are, send them like a little gift, to, you know, little care package for the kid, and they go, thank you so much, this is the best company I've ever worked in. Yeah, and that's what they love. In our company, we give five weeks uh, paid vacation every year to our employees, to specifically to account for that. 
And I remember when uh, one of our employees, who was a single mom, um, she's not with us sadly anymore. She got an amazing opportunity to study to be a doctor, which she went for, and, and we were really supportive. But um, she, she got pregnant and had another baby on the way. And um, we were like, well, how do we handle maternity leave? This is like, what, what do we do? She's so integral to the company. And we, we stressed about this. We were like, online it says you should give them nine months. And we're like, losing her for nine months would be devastating, but we really want to help her. And so we messaged her and said, hey, how much maternity leave would you like? Open-ended, just tell us and we'll give it to you. And she goes, oh, anything more than two weeks and I'll go insane. <laughs> and we were like, oh, we would like to gift you a month of salary on top of that to help with the baby. And she goes, that would be amazing, thank you. Cool, six weeks of pay and only two weeks of lost productivity. It was the best thing ever. And it was an open car policy. She could have gone online, seen how much she could get. And, and she's smart enough to do that, but she wanted to keep working. She didn't want to you know, lose the momentum. So I think that's really cool. And th that's my tip for hiring. So each of you, one tip. Uh, I got a ton of them, but like that really spoke to me about what you said about, you know, the, the six weeks. And so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on this one. So this is very complicated. Hang with me here. Shut up. That's it. When you're, when you're talking to them, let them tell you what they want, what they see the business, how they can help, all the other things that go into that. Just shut up. Like, a lot of times when we're interviewing people, we're just talking, we're bragging a lot of times, like how great my business is, and we're selling the business. Which is fine, there's nothing wrong with that. But like, let them sell themselves to you so you have a real idea. Do they fit the core culture, right? Are they gonna fit in? Do they have the skills that you really need for this? Let them talk, right? And if they're not talking, I love this phrase, and it can be negative, so I, I think it's one of those things like you want to say it in a California voice, you know, it needs to be a statement and a question, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry, I just I don't really feel like this is like a good position for you, or I just don't feel like you're really right for the job, you know, as a question, and then if they're like, yeah, all right, you know, they're done, you're done, <clears throat> but if they're like, you know, well, I disagree, and here's why, like, let them sell you on themselves, so you have a real analysis of like how they're going to do, like what's important to them. Because a lot of times, like I don't ever throw out a salary. I want them to throw it out because, and I learned this from Adam, so I'm going to give him all the praise for this, but like beat whatever the average is, right? If you look it up and that job pays 60000 they're probably going to go to something better, right? But if the average is 60000 and you say, hey, I'm going to give you this base of 60 plus this profit share, or I'm going to pay you 70. Because I think you're worth more than the average, right? And then when they come out and they're like, I mean, I could probably take the job for 50. They don't want it for 50, right? They want it for 60 or 70. You know, so when they say, hey, you know, I could probably do it for 50. You know, like, I see more value in you. So I want to pay you 60. Or I want to pay you 70. Or, like, if you can take it for 50, that's great. Let's set the base at 50. But I want a profit share. So, like, as you hit these KPIs, key performance indicators, as you hit these, these levels, I want to pay you more money, right? And so now they're invested in it, they see it, and like, you know, they want to be a part of the company because they know that like as that company grows, they're growing. So same thing like you said, you know, pay them equity, pay them profit share. Don't make it a job, guys. These people should be family to you as you hire them. Like, they should be family. You know, they're your FOC, right? Family of choice. So bring them in knowing that and like value them. You know, like... You know, she two weeks, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, same thing. I couldn't go two weeks. I retired once, it was miserable. Yeah. So, like, you know, I couldn't do that either. So, she was very honest. Like, you're thinking, like, oh my God, like, this is worst case scenario. But she threw it back in the court. Like, hey, what would work for you? She's like, oh, yeah, this would be great. And then he said, cool, I'm going to beat that. And so now she's like, Adam is the most amazing boss. Yeah. You know, I guarantee it. It's, it's so key. I, we had an employee, similar kind of thing. Um, he had a car crash on the way to work. And, um, and he was shaken up. So we were like, dude, you need to get this handled. So we're like, do not work today. Solve the car, do everything. And so he looked into it. And the key component was to fix the car was going to cost him four grand. And he's like, I don't have that money. I don't know what to do. And so we contacted him. And we had people that we knew. And we got a price that was cheaper. It was like 2800 And we were like, and he goes, well, I don't even have that. I was like, we don't need it. We're paying for it. And he just looked at us and was like, what do you mean? I was like, I need you productive and at work. I don't want you stressing about how to find 2800 bucks. 
I don't want you stressing about the broken car or, I mean, you gotta figure out how to get work like without a car over the next few days. Like I recommend this other employee who has a similar route, see if they'd be down to go out their way. I, I can't speak for the employee, I can't make him do it, but I'll ask him nicely. I was like, but I don't want you stressing about finding extra money as well. So we're gonna repair the car for you. We'll do it through our friend, we get a discount and uh, you know, just do your job. And he just like broke down in tears and was like, I don't know what to say. I was like, you're wasting time right now crying. Can you just do your job? And he, he laughed, you know, and then and he's like, I get it, boss, I get it. And I was like, look, we appreciate you and everything, but come on, chop, chop. And you know, he was just laughing, which, which took away the, the embarrassment that he was crying in the workplace. So how about you, Zach? What's your, um, what's your tip? Yeah, so I, I think that's some really good insights. Um, for me, one of the biggest changes I ever saw um, is when I shifted my mindset from, hey, I'm hiring this person to work for me or to work for my company, to work for, you know, there's the same word, me, 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 right? Uh, my company, my organization, my team, et cetera, right? And when you shift that focus and you say for us, right, and you bring them into the conversation, people don't work for you, they work with you, right? And, and so when you make them a part of your team and you partner with them and you even call them that, right? They're not some person, they're not an assistant, they're not a paperwork processor, they're not, you know, uh, for, in our firm we have investment specialists and uh, we call ARP, you know, and, and all these different roles that are essentially supporting the people that create revenue for the firm. Those people are just as important to your organization as you are. And I know that's a big ego check for myself, for other people, especially if you're the rainmaker or you're the big dog or everybody comes to you. Um, that when I made that shift mentally, it was the biggest like production boost. It was the biggest change in my own joy. They came to every meeting with a smile on their face, with memes to share, with things to talk about, right? They wanted to tell me about, um, you know, what was going on in their world. Uh, it was really a cool experience I had recently. There was a guy that came to work for me, I don't know, maybe six or eight months ago, right? To replace somebody else. He was kind of just serving in a paperwork capacity. His whole job was just to help fill out paperwork for my clients that I signed, right? Not a glamorous job, not a glamorous task, um, but man, he brought so much joy and passion and energy to everything that he did. He quickly got promoted uh, inside of the organization, um, but the same day that he had his uh, second baby boy, only three hours later, he sent me a picture of it and said, look at this amazing baby boy. That to me made, that made me happier to see than anything that he's ever done or any deal we've ever closed or any speed that he's operated with getting a deal paid out uh, for our firm, for myself, for our team. Um, because at the end of the day, that's, that's what you want on your team, right? And, and when you make them partners, your, their value is so much more than what do they bring between the hours of eight and six or whatever hours you may work. And so for me, once I shifted that focus and really said, hey, the people are what make this place great, the people are what make this company great, that's where the focus is. Man, it'll change everything, especially if you have been frustrated or maybe you've had the, the bad experiences hiring people and they didn't fulfill. Well, maybe it's because they didn't feel valued in their own organization and that could have been from you or it could have been just the system or, or the organization. So for me, once I shifted that, man, it's been a total game changer for our company and our organization in the way that we treat our people. Yeah, that reminds me of the anecdote of uh, when a president went to go visit NASA and he asked, janitor, what do you do? And he says, well, I just clean the space station. And then he went up another floor and asked another janitor, and he said, We're, I'm sending a man to the moon, right? So it's mission-driven. It's all in, all in how you look at it. Um, so something um, that I'm, I'm pretty stubborn about when I'm, I'm hiring folks or when I'm seeking an opportunity is to stop looking in the same vertical. So say it's financial services or... Um, uh, hospitality or, or um, media, but start thinking horizontally. Um, if someone's a marketing manager over here for McDonald's, what makes them unsuitable to be a marketing manager for a fintech organization? Um, it tells me a couple of things about a person who's willing to make that leap. They can quickly think outside of their category and um, be creative and not be someone who's duplicating the same strategy for the same industry and just tweaking the logos, the color scheme, et cetera. Secondly, that they have a growth mindset and that is really valuable for your organization um, and critical as not just a strategist, but also as an, an integrator. Um, and lastly, um, resilience and the ability to pivot uh, because 
we all know, uh, last several years and probably in the years to come, our businesses will have to survive a menagerie of things um, that are unknown. Um, and that's, a, that's my best hiring tip. I love it. Yep. Um, yeah, mine, so there were some beautiful golden nuggets which I already mentioned. Like I've had horrible experiences hiring through Indeed. I always go through referrals, so I agree with that. Uh, knowing your values and your purpose so that people are in alignment with who you are as an organization is major. Um, I think the one thing that I have to add to that is um, because I look at the interview, at, like, like you guys said, is that they are interviewing me if this organization, if they're a good fit for it, if they see themselves growing and expanding and being amazing in that organization, they're interviewing me. And so I have to be on point, right? I have to be, my vibe has to be right. Like I need to be taking care of myself physically. I need to make sure that I'm doing my personal work to be growing every day. I need to be making sure that I'm doing, that I'm feeling good about my daily work so that when they're sitting there standing in front of me, it, they, they feel that people resonate with each other. People are, you know, people are drawn, you know, it's like a magnet. You, you all know, it's like when a, a good person has a lot of other good people around them. And so that's really my one tip that would add to all this other amazing advice is like, you got to be on your shit, right? Like, it's like, I know we're trying to hire people to help solve our problems, but you, but really that personal level of inner work and outer work and all that stuff makes a major difference um, in, in that hiring process. I love that. So uh, what do you guys think of this, by the way? Good advice that everyone gets something? Awesome. So um, I want to bring it out to the audience for questions. I can see we've got some, there are people watching online and uh, they've got some questions. So uh, how many questions do you have, just so we know? Only one for now, great. And if anyone else in the room think about your question, go for it. In the references. Okay, so um, let's put it out to whichever one of you wants to answer the question. What are some red flags in the references when you see somebody hand in their resume and you're like, you know what, this is bad news? Yeah, I'll take, I'll take it real quick, but if anyone has a really strong, I mean, it's like I've seen this all the time. Number one, if they, if they don't obviously want to, if they were avoiding the conversation or anything like that, if you're having a hard time getting a hold of a referral for somebody, that's a major red flag in my opinion, because that means they're like, they're, they, they don't want to tell you bad news, probably. Uh, beyond that, um, I've had, you know, the, the other red flag is when I've talked to them in the past, they start using very vague language. They start, you know, they don't want to get into specifics too much. They don't want to screw this person over because no one wants to throw anyone under a train, but they're also, they're not giving you any details and they're not being overly like, um, you know, uh, yeah, they're not praising this person very highly, but I'll... Uh, no, I agree with that. And, and everybody should have at least three people that will lie for them. You know, so you should, <laughs> you should definitely be able to get at least three references. Um, but but I want it's just kind of associated to the question. But a big thing for me is we don't do references at the end. Like if you've interviewed them, you like them, all that, that's just a waste of time, right? So if you're going to do that, like you have to do it out on the front end. So narrow your people down really by the resume. Yeah. And then references before you do anything else, right? So, and again, if they can't find three people to lie for, I'm like, uh, move on. Yeah. I, I love that one. That's actually one I've never heard before, so that's a really good one, guys. That's great. Um, any more questions from anybody in the room? Yep, we've got one in the back. Go for it. How do you know when it's time to hire up for a position? Like, do you wait until that role is fully developed, or do you get ahead of it in, like, before you're, you build a position out with somebody? So the question is, uh, I'm going to speak to the microphone. Um, the question is, how do you know when it's uh, time to hire for a position? Do you wait until that role is so full that you absolutely have to bring somebody in, or do you hire ahead of it? Um, whoever wants to answer that. Go on, Zach. I, I can, can see you. Yeah, I can give it a shot. I don't think there's a perfect like chemistry or equation to it. Um, I think it's, to me, the way I think about it is, okay, can I, like, have I been doing this myself, like this, whatever role this is, right? Um, and... Can I do it to the best of my ability? Okay. What is the opportunity cost if I were to bring somebody in, even if they're not totally, you know, aligned and ready to go yet, right? Uh, but I can train them, I can teach them, and they have the skill set for it. Um, I think this is a common equation I get, or common question I get from our advisory side of our business, where guys and gals will come to, come to me and say, hey, Zach, when do I hire my own assistant, right, to help me run my financial practice? And I think, I always say, well, how much do you value your time, right? Uh, and I always walk them through the exercise, right? And hopefully this changes over time, it goes up. 
okay, do you value your time at $100 an hour, $500? I think, Adam, last time we spoke, you were at like probably $30,000 an hour or something amazing now. No, it's not that. It's only uh, $5,000. $5,000, okay, $5,000 an hour, right? And you kind of scale into that, right? And um, if you look at that role and you say, okay, so this role costs X amount of dollars, and if I take the value of my time or the opportunity I could be doing, the higher uh, ticket item, and then I subtract the cost of that employee or the cost of that teammate or, or uh, consultant or whatever it may be, and there's still a really positive delta there, I think you say, okay, great. I need to start looking for referrals. I need to start looking for references. Um, and if you don't know what that role is actually going to do, well, take a Saturday, take a Sunday, uh, or take an evening and say, let me bullet out um, everything that I can on what do I want this person to achieve and accomplish. Because you don't want to set yourself up for failure saying, I'm going to onboard this person without knowing totally what they're going to do. Um, but the more aligned you can get on what you'd hope to achieve, um, just because you have a goal of, I hope they achieve this versus like what they're actually capable, like those are always going to be slightly different. But there is an opportunity, I think, for you to kind of get those more aligned. So hopefully that's helpful uh, in, in thinking through that. I love that. And um, I, I, unless you have something you want to, yeah, yeah, go for it. I do. Um... And, and for me, because I've operated in all sorts of businesses, shapes and sizes, it also depends if you're looking to place a specialist in to fit the need of a project or a specific goal or a generalist. But um, this is like my billion dollar uh, company hat uh, going in. It's, it's hand in hand with your pipeline forecasting and strategic workforce planning, right? So if you're seeing that your pipeline is about to explode, which means great things for your sales team, and your company, but not good things for the operations and the people who have to fill the orders, so to speak. Um, the people in operations and HR need to also be at in their game in the workforce planning and know that if the orders are this high, but the people to fill them are this low, they're going to have to start um, hiring to fulfill that need. I, I love that, and I actually, I, I really like the Zach's point about how much I charge per hour, because it's a really good example. So I, I genuinely charge $5,000 per hour, um, and if you hire me for four hours, um, you'll often get some kind of a discount, right? So let's just say uh, four hours, I would do four for the price of three, so I make $15,000 for four hours of work, right? But it often takes me at least four hours to get a client willing to pay that. And this is going off of past experience. So I know four hours of dedicated hard work in market research, reach out, sales calls, will probably end up with $15,000 of cash that I mostly get to keep because I'm charging by the hour. So the next question is, if I charge somebody $15,000 for four hours, how can I justify charging that much? Well, that's very easy. I guarantee it. At the end of the four hours of work, if you look at what I've done for you and you do not believe that's worth six figures or higher, you get your $15,000 back. Now, I am lucky to date, touch wood, wherever the wood is, uh, no one's ever asked that money back. I've always been able to deliver. But there's always the chance that one day somebody's going to say, I want that money back. In addition, not every set of four hours that I work guarantees to be that $15,000. And I think if we calculate all the risks of what is eight hours of work, I have to presume it's 16 hours of work. So I now have 16 hours of work or two full days of work that equates to $15,000, which suddenly when you hear that, it's like, oh, this guy isn't getting $5,000 an hour. It's right, there's a lot of unpaid hours to generate $5,000 an hour. So now we know, okay, two days of work equals $15,000, or in a single very hard week, I can make $30,000 by just reaching out and doing consulting. Uh, which is $120,000 a month, which is not enough to support my company. So that is a very key component. I cannot survive on $120,000 a month. And I know that if I just worked on my own and did four very hard days a week, I'll still need that fifth day to be able to do basic admin and whatever else I have to do. So I cannot support my company. Knowing that, I have to hire for roles. And I have to leverage that. But that's always a tool set I can use to get a boost of revenue. But I always need to remember that that boost of revenue is approximately 50% of what I actually need. So whenever I go for guaranteed quick cash, I'm usually offsetting guaranteed consistent revenue over time with somebody that works. So I have to remember that and not think, oh, I'll just do this myself, and instead think, okay, who am I going to hire that is good? 
that I can train up to do something. Now, this is the flip side to that, and this is why businesses struggle. Most staff members don't get up to speed until 90 days. 90 days is where they start producing for themselves. So even when I bring in that staff member, let's just say their salary is, I mean, let's just say a basic salary of, of four grand a month, which is in this area that we, we're in, that's kind of like a considered a good salary. So I have to put an investment of $12,000 out of my own pocket to do it. So the way I'll typically hire a staff member is we'll think about the staff member we need. I will generate a $15,000 sale. The money will be put aside to pay for the employee for 90 days. And then we hope that employee does their job and we do everything we can, we've vetted them, we've got the right employee and we're doing all we can to make sure they succeed. At the end of 90 days, which is the trial period in our company, we have the $15,000 budget, they're taking $12,000 of it and, and after we pay all the benefits and taxes and everything else, that kind of evens out. And so at the end of that, that's it, they're gone. And no amount of begging from them, no amount of please boss, can I do more? It's like, I'm sorry, because the reality is we pre-worked to generate added revenue realistically at a loss to bring in that employee gambling that they would actually work. So I just wanted to give that insight um, to, to your question to show you sort of like how that balance comes in. And in a small business, it's almost always a gamble and you're hoping that the employee satisfies all the other criteria that we shared here today. So that's about it for this episode. I want to say thank you, every single one of you for coming here. Obviously, all the panelists, thank you guys so much. Um, where can people find you? If somebody wants to learn more about what you do, just uh, give a, a pitch to, to your stuff. All right. Uh, we are CFOAF. Uh, you can hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, any of the socials. Uh, hit up on the, uh, the website. Uh, there's a calendar link in there if you want to have a conversation with me. We do fractional CFO services for uh, small 30 plus million dollar companies and under. Yeah, I'm pretty easy. I can just look me up on Facebook and Instagram at Zach J. Hawkins. Uh, you can also just go to my website, ZachJHawkins.com. Very complicated. Uh, and then also, uh, if you'd like to hear more about the firm, 49 Financial, just go to 49financial.com, find us on LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, we'd love to help in any way that we can. We're a financial services firm that uh, is really looking to help a lot of families. So uh, we're based in Texas, but we're all 50 states now, so we can help you wherever you may be. Uh, the CFO was right. I'm terrible at social media. Uh, so you can find me at michael-robin.com. Um, if you're looking for my my personal stuff that I do, I do various different things. Uh, at Ethan Schindler um, on Instagram will lead you to my link tree and everything else. And then um, from a business standpoint, uh, Bastrop Fitness Project, at Best Bastrop Bash Fitness Project will also lead you to our websites and everything else which is awesome. Uh, this episode was brought to you by upsells.com, which is a done-for-you uh, email marketing sales offer creation system. You play, pay a flat rate, you don't pay commission, and we make you more money than you pay. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Smart Businesses Do This. That's a wrap, and we'll see you next time. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit the smartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.